0: good to be with you this morning. If you have your Bibles, I ask you to turn with me to John chapter 17. John's gospel, John chapter 17. We'll look there. So glad to be back with you getting into the fall season. Thankful, uh, for a great summer as Jeremy mentioned, really thankful just as I'm reflecting as pastor here and thinking about, uh, those guys that preach for us this summer and being able to learn from them and grow Alex and Josh the last two weeks and, of course, Jeremy, Stephen, Jerry, Pastor Nathan, all of them uh, preaching for us uh, just demonstrates God's good gifts to us and being able to have some faithful ones who can stand up here and open up the Word. And And so I'm thankful as a pastor and I'm ready to get back started as we look into this time of year. It almost seems like... like August is the new January, you know, you kind of get things going again after the summer. And so I felt like it was good for us to, to come back and over these next three weeks have this little series called We the Church, which would be a reminder of who we are as the body of Christ and what is it that we are to be doing as we kind of gather back together to get this thing seemingly rolling again into the fall season. As Jeremy mentioned, this Move Up Sunday. Promotion Sunday is what we used to call it when I was a kid. I was so excited about Promotion Sunday, then the older you get, you realize there comes a day when promotion means heaven. And so... Uh, you just kind of like, all right, whatever. But we're, we're thankful for this. Our volunteers, everybody in our, our preschool, children, student ministry, really working hard to, to make all of those things happen. So really thankful. Thankful for them. As we look over these next few weeks, um, this series called We the Church will be, as I said, a reminder. Um, especially as far as identity goes. If you are aware at all of our culture and what's going on in our culture, we have a significant identity crisis. People are trying to understand who they are, why they are here, what is it they are to be doing. I mean, it's a constant question that's coming up. And so we as a church need to understand that, that our identity is important and there should be no crisis here. There should be no crisis in understanding what it is that we as God's people are to be doing. For the scriptures are clear. Our calling is clear. Our identity is understood and clear. And so if I can, I'll put this little sentence together and I'll I'll help us out. I think we have it. I'll put this little sentence together to understand what we'll be discussing over the next three weeks. Simply this, we the church, and I can say here, Taylor's First Baptist Church. We, the church, exist to display the glory of God by being built up and centered in the gospel of Jesus Christ and by living generously in a world that is desperate for hope. I believe this sentence, and, and, and you look around our church, you'll see many things. Encounter God, equip believers, engage the world, establish the church. There's the, these things are how we build ourselves and how we structure ourselves, the, the seed by which we do everything we do. But when it comes to understanding who we are, this is the place where we go, at the very heart of it, we exist for the glory of God. That's week one. That's what we'll be discussing this morning. We, the church, exist for the glory of God. Next week, we, the church, are built upon and centered in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then week three, we, the church, must live generously to reach a world desperate for hope. That's how we'll lay out these next three weeks, looking at each part of this. And so to look here this morning, week one, as we begin, we exist for the glory of God. We turn to this great chapter in Scripture, John chapter 17. John chapter 17. John's gospel, as you know, is different from the other gospels. It's a a gospel that is showing us all Jesus did and taught. It's coming from an understanding to show his majesty and his glory. And when you get to John chapter 13, you are really at that last evening and next two days. You're at that point, or next three days, you're at that last evening before Jesus. That night he would be betrayed, before he'd be crucified, and then you go through the resurrection. So, John 13 through 21 is really dealing with just, just a few days of time. And it begins with him together. And this, this section of John's gospel is often referred to as the book of glory. John 13 through 21, the book of glory. And at the heart of this section, the, the middle chapter in this book of glory in John 13 through 21, is John 17. And John 17 is Jesus' high priestly prayer, as it's referred to. It's a prayer of Jesus. The whole chapter is Jesus praying with his disciples on the night that he was to be betrayed. As they take Passover together, he institutes the Lord's Supper, he teaches them, and then he prays for them. He prays for them. In John 17, we have this prayer recorded. We have this prayer recorded. It comes off the heels of Jesus' teaching. If you look in John 16, 33, he said, I've said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And so Jesus is saying, there's going to be difficulty, but take heart, I've overcome the world. And then he prays for them. He's praying to his Father He's praying for his disciples, and ultimately he's praying for us, those who would believe through the word and the testimony of the apostles. He's praying for us, the church. And with that in mind, what better place to turn than to God's prayer for us, Jesus's prayer for us. This gives us I think, the basic understanding of what it is we are to be doing. So I want to read this together, if you will. We'll read all of John 17. John 17, starting at verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I've manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you and they have believed that you sent me. I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world but for those whom you have given me for they are yours. All mine are yours and yours are mine and I'm glorified in them. And I no longer in I am no longer in the world but that they may be perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you love me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, And I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. And what an incredible, incredible opportunity, privilege for us to read the prayer of our Savior for his people. And so, God, today, may you be glorified. May you be exalted. May you be lifted up in this place so that we may display your glory for a world that is desperate for it. All of this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. As you can see, we read John 17, and it's full of glory language. In fact, it is the culmination of the message of Jesus as the glory of God. This has been John's emphasis from the beginning. John's whole gospel has been one of Jesus revealing the glory of God. If you remember back in John chapter 1, verse 14, it says, And the word, speaking of Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. We've seen his glory. The public ministry of Jesus is the revealing of God's glory through the signs and wonders that he did in John's gospel. The teaching ministry of Jesus is the revealing of the glory of God through his authority. Remember, as they said, no one teaches like this. This authority, where does it come from? It's, it's a revealing of the glory of God through the authority of his teaching and the attributes of him on display. And of course, here in the hour of glorification, as Jesus says in John 17:1, the hour has come, glorify your son that your son may glorify you. Here in this hour of glorification, the death and resurrection of Christ becomes the full display of God's glory for his people. This all ties back to the Old Testament. This is not some new concept that has has propped up here or cropped up here in John's gospel of the coming glory. In fact, the Old Testament throughout it is telling us of this glory that is to come. It begins, if you will, and and we've seen it before, but but that moment, for example, with Moses, everybody knows the story of Moses who says, Lord, show me your glory. Remember, show me your glory. And the Lord in in Exodus chapter 33 tells Moses that he's going to pass before him, and he's going to give him a glimpse of his backside, if you will. You can't take the full brunt of my display of glory. So I'm going to give you just a little glimpse of my backside glory so you may see that. And the Lord said, behold, there's a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I pass by. In other words, I will show you as he says, I'll take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face you shall not see. I will let you see a glimpse, a tail end of my glory because that's all you can stand. That's all you can take. And as the Lord passes before Moses, remember what he says. He's passing before Moses and he he goes, he goes uh, before him and as he's going before him, he tells him of all of his attributes. He tells him of his glory and his goodness. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity from generation to generation. So as glory passes by, God displays his glory by telling of his attributes. He's revealing himself. And this teaches us what glory is. It's kind of a Bible word. We use it all the time, but but this teaches us what this means. Glory is honoring God for who he is and what he has done for us. Who he is, what he is doing, and what he has done. It is honoring God for all of that, but it's deeper than that. It's not just giving him honor for it. Glory is honoring God by displaying his attributes in a revelation. By showing us who he is. In other words, glory is not something that we can simply just talk about. It's something that we see. It's something that we see. Moses' question is, show us your glory. Let us see your glory. As D.A. Carson writing in John, about John 17 says, glory commonly refers to the manifestation of God's character or person in a revelation. Revelation. When God shows us who he is, he is showing us his glory. Glory is what you see. God reveals to us who he is, and this is his glory. When Moses, by the way, saw the glory of God, we know what happened. His face glowed. It shined, as Scripture tells us. The whole Old Testament, there's this idea that to see God's glory is something we can't do and live. Moses had to have the hand over over his face until he just caught a tail end of his glory. And his face glowed for days after looking upon the glory of God. And the whole Old Testament is telling us then that there is this greater glory that's coming. What Moses saw was just a snippet. There is a full picture on the way. In fact, in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 40 is a famous passage that's pointing to a a central character in John's gospel. We know it's pointing to that that character that is John the Baptist. It it gives us that equation there that, that he is the voice crying in the wilderness of Isaiah 40. And listen what Isaiah 40 says. There's this voice crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places, the plain and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And so when we get this picture in John's gospel, that John the Baptist is the voice crying out in the wilderness, he's the one saying, get ready, because now we will see the full manifestation of God's glory. What Moses saw the backside of, we will see face to face. In fact, in Isaiah 40, he says, you go up to a mountain and what used to be hidden, you scream from the mountaintop, behold your God. Here he is. All of the Old Testament is longing for this full display of God's glory and what John's gospel is centered on is that one who is to show us the glory of God on full display finally has come. Jesus is the full glory of God to all who believe. He is the full display of everything God is. For 2 Corinthians 4 verse 6 says this, For God who said, Let light shine in the darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The light of the knowledge of God's glory is found in Christ. So when John 1 14 says, The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, what we see in Christ is all of the honor, all of the attributes, all of the beauty, beauty, all of the splendor, all of the majesty, the goodness, the faithfulness, the love. We see all of that displayed in Jesus Christ, our Lord, on full display for us. As Hebrews 1.3 says, he is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. It's Jesus. His honor is seen in the coming. God's honor is seen in the coming of his Son, And how his son would serve him faithfully, teach and proclaim his word, die on a cross and be raised again for his people. John is saying, here the glory of God has come. And that's what we see in John 17. The time has come. Now ultimately, through the cross and through the resurrection, that glory will be on full display in Jesus Christ. Again, God's glory is something we see. We see it in the person and work of Jesus Christ. He's the full display of it. And we will see it again. As Matthew 25, 31, When the Son of Man comes, His glory with His glory and all of His angels with Him, we will see Him on His glorious throne. In other words... What's been revealed for us in Christ, we know the glory of God, but there's even a greater glory that will be revealed again as we look to him on his throne. So we live now having seen and known the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ and longing for that greater glory that is coming. That's why we we sing the songs we sing often talking about that coming of the day when we see him face to face, the old hymn. When with the ransomed in glory, his face I at last shall see. It will be my joy through the ages to sing of his love for me. When with the ransomed in glory, we see his face. We see his face. But until that day, how are we to live? How is the display of God's glory to be seen in this world. And that's where we fit in. Jesus is the ultimate manifestation of the glory of God. We see all that God is, all that he's done, all that he's accomplished, all of his love, all of his grace, all of his mercy, when we lift up Jesus Christ. And I've often said the key to preaching is I say a bunch of words, not so you would hear, but so you would see the glory of Christ. Not just so you can hear it, but so that you can see it. And we preach in such a way so God's glory can be seen in Jesus. We lift him up. And that glory then is on display. The manifestation of the glory of God in Jesus Christ is on display through his people. God, glory is seen in his son, Jesus Christ. And it is on display through his people. What I mean by that is God's glory is still to be seen today. And how is it to be seen through the church? This is our ultimate responsibility. God's glory is to be seen through the church. The church's sole function, sole function is to display the glory of God. And hear me when I say this, I use the word soul there on purpose, not S-O-U-L, but S-O-L-E. Its only function, its, main, it's not just its main function, its only function is to display the glory of God. That's our function. That's what we are to do. That's who we are, to display the glory of God. And how do we do this? How do we display the glory of God in our midst? And I think John 17 lets us in on some ideas on how we display God's glory. And I don't believe, I don't believe that this list is exhaustive. exhaustive. We can maybe list out 25 things, but, but I think here, these are the baseline. This is where it begins. You cannot display God's glory without these things coming. And they come straight from the Lord's prayer here in John 17. First of all, we as the church display the glory of God in our obedience to his word and deed. In our obedience to his word. Look at what Jesus said in John 17 as he's praying to God. He said, I glorified you on earth. How did he glorify God on earth? Having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. In other words, Jesus says, I glorified your name by being obedient to what you sent me to do. By being obedient to what you called on me. First and foremost, how do we become obedient to God's word? We become obedient by believing in Him. Verse 8: For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received those words and have come to know the truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. In other words, Jesus says, I've taught them what you want me to teach them. They are listening to what I taught them, and they have taken in those words, and they are following me they're following me. And how do we know this? By believing. Understand you don't separate believing from obedience, not in scripture. You say you love God and you don't keep his commandments. You're a liar. First John says, in other words, if you believe in who Jesus is, then you will by very nature of believing in him, follow him. Does that make sense to everybody? Because it's impossible not to. I mean, let's just compute this for a second. We believe everything the scripture says about who God is and who Jesus Christ is, right? We believe he's the creator of the universe. We believe he spoke everything out of nothing, that there was nothing he spoke and in everything, right? We believe that he has established this universe by the word of his power. He holds it in the palm of his hand. We believe that we have rebelled against him and turned, and instead of giving us the judgment we deserve, he sent his own only son, to to bring him glory here, to die in our place, to take our sins upon himself. And so we don't get an eternity of punishment, separation from him. We get eternal life that has been given to us through Jesus Christ who died and rose again. We owe everything to Christ. We're under the Lord and we owe everything to him. So you're telling me you believe all of that and you don't want to follow him? You believe all of that and you don't want to obey him? You don't see your life as owing everything to him? You don't see it as this is the one who died for me, therefore I want to serve him? Because John says, it is my joy, it's my joy to follow you. See, obedience to God is not just a list of laws that we have to follow and have to to keep up with to burden us down. It is for our flourishing God's rules, God's laws, God's word is so that we would flourish in this life to find our full joy. And so we follow after those things because it's our joy to follow the one who has died for us and rose again. And so to say you believe in Jesus and not obey him is the height of foolishness. You believe his word, but not follow him. is the height of foolishness. So every individual, as scripture says, 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, you do everything for the glory of God, which means you do everything for his sake, for his obedience, for his honor, to display his name. Everything we do is to display his name. Verse 11, we keep them in your name, the Lord prays. Keep them in your name, Lord. Verse 12, I have not lost one. Let's don't lose any now. They're all here, Lord. What you have given me, I have saved them, redeemed them, and I don't want to lose them. The fruit of the Spirit that we live out in our everyday obedience is a display of belonging to God. And it's a demonstration of our belief that the glory of God has come in the face of Jesus Christ. And so our lives must display this through obedience in word and deed. We display God's glory when we are faithful to God's word. When we're faithful to God's word. It's not the time, by the way, in our world in our age, just like here, we, we think of our difficult time, and I, I'm thinking, you know, we often talk about it. We talk about the future. You know, I was in a good mood the other day, really good mood as I was going out, and then I had to fill up my truck with gas. <laughs> and we talk about our troubles, and we think about the next generation, but, but consider this time. Jesus is praying with his disciples, having just told them, it's going to be tribulation for you. The devil is coming after you. Consider the fact that every single one of these men that he's talked to, except for one, was killed for preaching the gospel. And the one that wasn't was cast away to an island, a prison island, at the end of his life. Consider those things. And what the Lord is saying is there's tribulation that's coming. So he's not, we're not going, hey man, they had it easy in those days. We've got it rough Ever since the beginning of time, the devil has sought to destroy his people, God's people. And he's still seeking to do this. And how is he doing this now? He's not just killing those who believe the gospel, he's getting us to believe that the word of God is not that important. And standing firm on the word is going to put us in the margins of society. So so we have to shy away or compromise. And now, my friends, is not the time to do such things. In fact, when you look around you over the landscape of Christianity, even in our country, it is the churches that are remaining faithful to God's word that are staying strong and vibrant. The ones that turn from it, the ones that turn from God's word and his authority are the ones you see in decline And going to nothing, fading away. It's time for us to display God's glory by believing what God says and living it out in our obedience. Not only that, these two go together. We display God's glory in our unity in the truth. You see glory throughout 17. You see unity here throughout the whole passage as well. We display God's glory not only in our obedience, but in our unity. This is verse 22. Verse 22 kind of summarizes everything I'm saying here. The glory that you have given me, Jesus says, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. This unity here has, has the fact that we've been united with Christ through his salvation, and now we're united with each other through Christ to proclaim his word, to display his glory to this world. And as I said, this unity is in the face of great difficulty in 1633, a world of tribulation. 1714, this world is coming to to hurt you, but why has he given us the word? The word, I've given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world in verse 14. Just as I'm not of the world. I've given them your word and the word is what unifies them. In 1717, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Our union together is through Jesus Christ in obedience to his word. It goes this. So we're united as the church. And I don't know everything, but I know this. A church divided cannot and will not bring glory to God. It cannot manifest the glory of God. Because what Jesus is saying is here is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have been one, united for all eternity. And in that one union of the Trinity, they have brought salvation to all who would believe. And so the church displays the glory of God by demonstrating our unity together as Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior and our obedience to his word in all that we do so that, look at what Jesus prays so that the world may believe, in verse 21. They may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The purpose in our unity is to bring salvation to a world that's desperate for it, right? So we fight for unity. Ephesians 4 tells us that this unity that has been given to us Is something we must maintain. Understand, he doesn't say you are to attain unity. And I've said this before. If we were to try to attain unity, there is no way that all of us in this room, much less the next two services, will come together and agree in unity. Football season starts in two weeks. Y'all know what I'm talking about. There's no way we can attain unity. Unity for all of us in this place is something that has been given to us in Jesus Christ. We are united in Christ. It's a gift that he has brought us together under one head. Jesus Christ, our Lord, we are united in him. It's a gift. It's something we have received, unity. But what Ephesians 4 says is we are to maintain that unity. It's something we must fight for. It's something we must strive for. And how do we maintain it in Ephesians 4? We maintain it through love. And patience and kindness with one another. We strive for unity around Jesus Christ by fighting together to stay united for his glory and for his name. We set aside our own difference. We do all things without grumbling and complaining. We do not set preferences above God's word or his obedience. We do not put ourselves above others. We consider others greater than ourselves. And in doing this, we stay united. And why do we stay united? So that we can display God's glory to a world that is desperate for it. To a world that is desperate for it. We fight for unity. We don't fight each other. We strive to be united in this thing so we can display the glory of God. Which brings third and finally, obedience, unity. We display God's glory by our unity in mission. you're looking for three, our display of God's glory is in our obedience to his word, our unity together, and our mission for his name. He says in verse 18, And I kind of often call this the great commission of John's gospel. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. One of my early sermons that I thought was the best sermon ever preached (laughs) had this simple verse, and it had three points. That Jesus came to love, to serve, and to die. And that's why we are here. He says, just as the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. We are sent into this world to love, to serve, and to die. To die to ourself. To die to our preferences. And to exalt the name of Christ in our life. To serve one another so that they would believe and know there is only one true God. And Jesus Christ is his son who died for us. And to love and to display that love of God to a world that desperately needs it. Our unity is seen in our beholding to the word, obedience to the word, and our belief in the mission that he's called us to. He's called us to display the glory of God so that the world may believe. So that the world may believe. We see that in verse 21. We see it in verse 23. The heart that we must have in the displaying of the glory of God is the same heart that Jesus had for the world, to save the world, to reach them with the good news. The glory of God must be seen and displayed in us through our obedience, through our unity, through our mission, so that the world may believe. And what I'm saying is, herein lies the joy What we're longing for is satisfaction, which brings ultimate joy for us, right? And herein lies the joy. Look at what he says in verse 13 of chapter 17. He says, but now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in them. The joy that we long for so much is found in displaying God's glory through our obedience, our unity, and our mission together, You're looking for joy. It's found in the life of the church together, displaying that glory together so that the world may believe. That's where joy is found. And what Jesus knew is this is opposite from what the world says. The world says joy is found in accumulating things and in, in adding up our resumes and our bottom line that we may have. Our joy is found in those places. And what Jesus is saying is our joy is ultimately found in loving and serving and dying together with other believers for the sake of his name. That we are displaying that glory that we serve together, that we love together. Jesus says it at the end. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. The name of Christ Jesus is being made known so the world may know his love. And it's being made known through us. We are the display of God's glory as his church. We are the display of God's glory. So church, what I ask of you today is to consider these things. In every single one of our lives, there's something we can do There's some place we can serve. There's some place we can join in. There's some place we can love. There's some place we can gather together to fulfill the mission together. What we know is that God does not need any of us, right? He can accomplish his mission on his own, but he has chosen us. And this great privilege has been given to us to be able to display his glory here. So why would we miss out on such a great privilege? And as we serve, as we love here, as we seek to unite, together as Taylor's First Baptist. We do all of this so that the world may know Jesus Christ is Lord. He is Lord. How do you fit into that? We have a place for you. We have opportunities for you. We want you to be a part of displaying the glory of God here in the life of our church so that our community and the world may know his name. Let's pray together. Father, Thank you so much for this day and for this opportunity to gather.
1: What a blessing
0: it is to be together with your people. And so, Father, as we sing, as we worship, as we hear the word proclaimed, we display the glory of God in your midst. Father, I thank you for this opportunity. And I pray now as you work in the life of our church that you would draw our hearts together. If there's some here, Father, who need to know that joy that they have not found Today, may they find it in Christ by seeing his splendor and majesty and believing in him. So God, work in hearts to do that. And God, if there's some who are longing for a church home, longing for a place to serve, maybe there's some who've been here for a season, a time, God, but they've never really found their place. May they find that now to display the glory of God in this this church, in this life here. God, work and move even as we sing together. For your glory and for your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.